I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. If you take what Willie just read, if you take this passage from Psalm 145, We have an awesome God who is full of mercy, full of love, full of grace, full of compassion. And it's good for us to be reminded that as we have begun our worship today, far into it, we see the mercy and the grace and the compassion and the love of God as we can pray to Him. As we sing these songs, count your many blessings. As we just remembered the greatest sacrifice of all time. Jesus giving his body and his blood for us. As we're about to break open this lesson, we see it and we know it. And that's why God is awesome. That's why God is worthy of everything that we're trying to do to please him in our worship this morning. But Before we get into our lesson properly, would you pray with me? Our God and Father in heaven, You are reverend in name. You're merciful and compassionate and kind and full of love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the worship we have given you so far. And I I ask you personally, Father, now to be with me as I present this lesson. Be with my mind. Be with my tongue. Help me, Father, to give the truth and nothing but the truth in its simplicity. And I love you, Father, for the written word. And may we all understand it right now as it's delivered. I pray this in, Father, your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Full crowd. Thank you guys for being here. What memories stuck in your crawl up here? What memories is in your mind and you will never, ever forget? I guarantee the oldest person in here still has that memory they can't get out of their mind. I remember the first time I got to see my favorite drummer. It was the coolest thing. I remember at the old municipal auditorium, you know, no reserved seating. You're working your way through the crowd and bam! Double bass drums, six-inch tom all the way to a 16-inch floor tom. Neil Peart's right in my face, right there, 1980. I remember it. I remember it. I remember trying to impress a girl. about 18 or 19. I'm on crutches. At Bobby Ray, used to be junior high, right? I'm at Bobby Ray, and I'm trying to go down, I'm trying to go down stairs with crutches. You ever done that? There's a smart way and there's a dumb way. So instead of letting go of one set of crutches and holding on to the rail and going down, I try to go down with both crutches under my arms and I try to go down the steps. Well, I put, the, I put the crutches down, I go out, and all I'm doing is like a bicycle in the air going down. I crash, I 
me. I'm looking at my buddy. What's wrong with you? That was your fault. And trying to blame it on him, it wasn't. It was my stupidity. I remember a beautiful, sunshiny day. The year was 2001. The day was September 11th. I remember it clearly. I don't really remember getting out of bed this morning. I remember September 11th, 2001. I remember the buzz that started. I remember then the, the news report started coming in. Then we got a little in the news. I remember going to the conference room and watching the TV. I remember that. I remember exactly where I was, where I was sitting, and what was happening. I remember those things. In 2 Peter chapter 1, the apostles also have things in their minds that I'm convinced they will never, ever, ever forget. Now, Willie just read about... Uh, the Apostle Peter's talking to them about there's certain things I don't want you to forget. And I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of those things. And then Peter goes on, beginning with verse 15, to tell his audience, here's why you can take my word to the bank. Verse 15, read with me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's telling his audience, listen to me. I'm not making up, I'm not scheming some type of made-up stories, calling to devise fables. We, he says, were eyewitnesses, plural. Who was there? Peter, James, and John. They saw the majesty of Jesus in all his kingly glory. They saw Jesus receive honor and glory. And where did it happen? As Peter writes, on the holy mountain. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go with me to Luke chapter 9. What is Peter alluding to? Most in this audience know. But in case you don't know, let's talk about it. We're going to look at Luke chapter 9. As you're turning to Luke chapter 9, I just wanted to scan a few verses before we get to verse 28. That's where we're going to start. But I want, you to, I want you to scan these verses with me and keep them in your mind before we get to our main text. In Luke chapter 8, around verse 18 and verse 20, that's when Jesus asked the apostles, Who are people saying that I am? And they tell them, some are saying, You're this person, that person, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah, some others. Then Jesus says, Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? And Luke records Peter saying, the Christ of God. Other passages, other gospels say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. Remember that. Around verse 22, then Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to have to suffer. And I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. But before that, it's going to be a lot of suffering with me. Remember that. Because Jesus next tells them, are you ready to pay the price? Around, beginning around verse 23 to verse 26, are you ready to pay the price to follow me and to be my disciple? Then verse 27, 
He says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Shall not taste death until they saw the kingdom of God. Mark puts it, the kingdom of God with power. Matthew records it as the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, with all that brief information, again, keep that in the back of your mind on the bookshelf. Now, let's get to verse 28 of our text. Verse 28 says, Now, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that He took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So approximately a week after the things we just scanned, I had you to keep in the back of your mind, Peter and James and John are going to a mountain and they're going to pray. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that Peter, James, and John, these three are privy to certain events. They had already saw the daughter of Jairus, his 12-year-old daughter, raised from the dead. They're going to be with him later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. So these three particularly are getting to see some fantastic things. And here they are with Jesus on this mountain. And they are there for the purpose of praying. Now verse 29. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, Two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now let's stop there for a second. Jesus is praying. I want you to remember this. Why? Why is Jesus praying? Is there any, is there any indication, is there any evidence in this story of what Jesus might have been praying about. I think there might be. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Jesus praying is always a beautiful thing to think about. He was the model. As teachers, we are asked to model what we want our students to learn. And Jesus was the master teacher. Always modeling as he is teaching. To pray. Praying was important to him. The apostles cannot quite hang with Jesus at this moment. While Jesus is praying, note again what Luke states. The appearance of his face altered and his robe became white and glistening. Here's how Matthew records it in his accounting of this. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as snow. Here's how Mark records it. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Matthew and Mark said that Jesus was transfigured. Hence, in your Bibles, you may have a heading that says the transfiguration. That's what has happened. To transform into something elevated, beautiful. His flesh changed. His clothing changed. And it was something beautiful, and it was something elevated. Then Jesus is visited from two people, or by two people, who have been long dead, long gone. Physically speaking, anyway. Moses and Elijah. 
representative of the law, if you will, representative of the prophets. Moses has been dead for, if I've done my research right, around approximately 1,400 years. He died on Mount Nebo, but God buried him, and nobody knows where he was buried. Elijah was, or has been, gone for approximately 900 years. You remember God took him with the horses and chariots of fire and a whirlwind that takes Elijah away. But notice, both of these men are undeniably people of God. Notice what the text, what does Luke say? They appeared with Jesus. They appeared in glory also. Two honored workmen, leaders for God's people, working sometimes against incredible odds and incredible difficulties. I want to pause just for a moment and make a comment on this. You know, the same thing can one day, one day, someday be said of us. Listen to this quote from the Apostle Paul that he told the letter to the to church of Colossae. Paul once said, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We can all be in glory with Jesus someday. Now Moses and Elijah appear and a conversation is taking place between the two and Jesus. And notice what it is. They're talking about Jesus' quote, decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And again, I ask you, why? Why? Why at this moment, as Jesus is praying, mind you, he changes. His skin changes. His clothing changes. And lo and behold, here is the representative of the law and the representative of the prophets, Moses and Elijah. Why? Well, something has to be accomplished. And the meaning of this word in this text is a planned event. It's going to happen. It has to happen. Remember, this was one of the things that Jesus stressed the week prior to this mountain. That he was going to suffer at the hands of men. They were going to put him to death. They were going to murder him. Here's what I think might be happening. Here's my suggestion anyway. Remember when Jesus was tempted, tested by Satan, by Satan himself on the spot, and three times Satan tempted Jesus? Do you remember what happened after all those temptations? God sent an angel to Jesus to minister to him. Later on, and Luke records this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is praying, remember he prayed three times during the second prayer as he is praying and Jesus has in his sweat, actual blood in his sweat, Luke tells us an angel came and ministered to Jesus on those two occasions. Two very hard and difficult occasions. Is it possible, is it plausible that the weight of what's about to happen to our Master and Lord is on him? And yet again, here is God answering Jesus' prayer, let me send you Moses, let me send you Elijah, 
and let them strengthen you. Son, it's going to be okay. You can do this. You can do this. Jesus, you have to do it. In the meantime, verse 32. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. When they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and for Elijah. And then Luke comments, not knowing what he said. Luke makes it crystal clear that these three knew what they were finally seeing and hearing. I mean, they were in that state. The text of the scenes indicate they were in that state of grogginess. And then they wake up and they realize what's going on. You ever been in that state? That state of grogginess, you wake up? I got a story for you. It's another embarrassing one on me. But that's all right. It's a long time ago. I'm asleep, sleeping pretty good. Charlotte's already up. And she's, I don't know what's going on, but she's trying to wake me up. And she's brushing her hair. All right? So she's brushing her hair, and she's staying, staying. Now, if you wake up. I start waking up, you know, in that groggy state. And I'm not quite sure what's going on. And all I'm seeing is, in my mind, is seeing, stay, stay. <laughs> so I scream like a girl, nothing personal, ladies, but I scream like a girl. I, and I finally wake, oh, oh, okay, it's time to get up. It happens. When Peter... James and John, I finally wake up and they see what's before them. Peter takes over, the impulsive one, quick to action, and the conversation is apparently stopping, it's ending, and Moses and Elijah are preparing to leave. Here's Peter's idea. Peter states, this is good. What a moment. Can you imagine? You've been to probably some great moments in your life. What a moment he's seeing. The lawgiver, the great prophet, and the master. All three right there. If you're a Jew and you're a disciple of Jesus, it doesn't get any better to see Moses, Elijah, and Jesus right there. That's the event of all events. Peter states, let's make three tabernacles, three tents. His mind probably rushing back through Exodus. Why tabernacles? Why tents? It was places of honor, places of Reserve, places of worship. Typical impulsive move on his part. But our text tells us, Luke tells us that Peter did this not knowing what he said. Quick, triggered action. He hadn't properly thought it through. Mark records he did not know what to say for they were greatly afraid. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. And then something happens that changes the entire mood and the entire meaning of the situation. Verse 34. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, 
This is my beloved Son. Hear Him! When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. A cloud overshadowed them. Apparently this engulfed them all. Matthew calls it a bright cloud. But what does this signify? Oh, Peter, James, and John would have known. We study our Old Testament. We know when a cloud shows up and starts overshadowing things, engulfing things. Remember what happened at Mount Sinai? When the cloud began to engulf Mount Sinai and the mountain began to quake and the lightning and all that, just a great show going on from God. Remember in the wilderness from Exodus when the cloud was over the tabernacle? Remember in 1 Kings chapter 8 when the cloud filled the temple? And there's other examples of that. God's presence. They knew it. God's presence was there on that mountain at that particular point. And they knew it. They had these Old Testament passages to pull from. Fear engulfed them as the cloud engulfed the scene. They are terrified. There's one word for fear that's respect. There's another word for terrified. They're terrified. They are scared to death about what's going on. And then the voice comes out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. My beloved son. The chosen one. The one and the only. Jesus. This is my son. And then the next two words... And Luke puts it with an exclamation point. Hear him. Hear him. Moses brought a law to govern a nation. Was presented a law, delivered a law to a people for a nation. Jesus brought a law to save us from our sins. Elijah did the work of God through trials and tribulations. And he did it. And God took it. Jesus died from his trials and his tribulations doing the work of the Father. Hear him. Why? Why hear Jesus? Would you go with me to John chapter 8, please? John chapter 8. I think I can show you why we should listen to Jesus in case you don't know. John chapter 8. Jesus is the voice of truth. That's why we need to hear him. He tells the truth. He is the voice of truth. Begin with me in John chapter 8 verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Stop right there and think about that. You shall know the truth 
and the truth is going to make you free. Well, where does that truth come from? It's coming from Jesus. Jesus is the voice of truth. Well, why do we need to hear the voice of truth? Because there's always an opposite, right? There's always an opposite. If Jesus is the voice of truth, then there must be a voice of a liar. If there is a truth and we need the truth, then there must be a lie and somebody telling the lie. Verse 37 of John 8. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Small f. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Small f. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? I.e., why are you not hearing me? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You, here it is, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is the voice of truth. Satan is the voice of the liar. And right now, right now, the voice of the liar is saying the Christian life is just too hard. The voice of the liar is saying, you can't do it. It's just way too hard. Why are you even trying? But the voice of truth is saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what the voice of truth is saying. The voice of the liar says, look at you. You're not worthy of all this. You're not worthy of the love that this God's throwing down at you. You have no worth. You're worthless. That's the voice of the liar. The voice of the truth says, God does love you. You do have worth. And God proved it by giving his one and only son to die on a cross. That's what the voice of truth is saying. The voice of the liar says, you want to be free? You can't be free. You know you can't break the shackles of those sins because you're always thinking about them. You're always wanting to do them. That's the voice of the liar. But the voice of the truth says, you can know the truth. And that truth will set you free. That's what the voice of truth says. The voice of the liar is saying, you sat there in your sins this morning at Bobby Branch Auditorium and you don't do a thing. You're just fine as you are. That's the voice of the liar. You know there's a God in heaven. 
You know there's a creator. You know Jesus is his son. You understand you have to repent. You understand about baptism. You understand all that. But the voice of the liar is saying, you just stay where you're at. Your life's fine. You got money in your pocket. Everything's good. You just sit right there. That's what the voice of the liar is trying to tell you. The voice of the liar is trying to tell you, Christians, nobody will find out about that sin. Just keep on going. That's what the voice of the liar is saying. But the voice of the truth, the voice of truth is stating just the exact opposite. The voice of truth is saying, you take my hand and I'll lead you to the promised land. That's what the voice of truth is saying. How is it reinforced that we listen to the voice of truth as Peter, James, and John finally look up? Who's there? Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. And it's Jesus. We listen to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 6 and verse 7, the text tells us that Peter, James, and John, they are prostrated. Their face is on the ground. They are so afraid. In one of the most beautiful, beautiful verses, in verse 7, of Matthew chapter 17, it says that Jesus walked over to them, touched them, and said, it's okay. Get up. You don't have to be afraid. Folks, the voice of the liar is saying, stay down. Just stay down. It's safer. Just stay down. The voice of the truth, though, is saying, let me help you up. The voice of the liar is saying, you stay afraid. He keeps you on your toes. But the voice of truth is saying, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore. That's the voice of the truth. Moses once said himself, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. That's the one who was standing with Jesus saying, somebody's coming someday and you're going to listen to him and his name, ladies and gentlemen, we know is Jesus. And he is from a place called Nazareth. And he lived a beautiful life. He lived a life of mercy and grace. He did wonderful things. He said great things. He performed miracles. He showed everybody who he was openly. They murdered him. They killed him. They took his body from that cross. They put it in a tomb. And three days later, three days later, the tomb is empty. And that empty tomb still shouts to this day, obey the voice of truth. The voice of the liar has been defeated. The voice of the liar is the loser. The voice of truth is the victor. And we can be on that winning team. We can be the victors with Jesus. And if you have a need this morning, if you need to become a Christian, we just talked about it, if you need to renew your life, Don't let the voice of the liar keep you down and afraid. Listen to the voice of truth and come forward. And let's talk about it as we stand and sing.